How are sales and product management alike? And when do you know it's time to start your own business? These are some of the questions we asked Ben Kettle, a former product leader who now grows and scales revenue teams and is the VP of Revenue at Gun.io, a technology company that helps companies of all sizes hire world-class developers. I'm Tom Noser. Ben Kettle ran a sales consultancy for tech businesses before joining Gun.io. Today, Ben writes about hiring at a Substack, lyingtoourselves.com. Along with being a sales and product leader, Ben is an avid cyclist, ex-senior consultant with Deloitte and Bearing Point, and a former product manager for Assurian and Ski Bum at the Four Seasons Jackson Hole. We hope you'll enjoy our conversation today with Ben Kettle. Ben. Tom. It is so good to see you. Likewise. Thank you for coming down and uh, doing the podcast. I'm excited. This is your first in person. This is my first in person, yes. And we're we're sitting about 10 feet from each other. It's yeah, it's lots a of little, eye contact. It's a little weird. It's a little weird. <laughs> Agre- agreed. Yeah, yeah. But it's fun. I like I I think this there's there's, you know, there's better uh chemistry this way. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, Tom, I feel like, I feel like, um, do you know what a bottle episode is? No. What's a bottle episode? So a bottle episode was back in the, back in the olden days of serialized TV. Mm -hmm. What they would do is they would, you have a budget for a season, but like, let's say the producer really wanted the finale to have like extra dragons or more special effects. And so at some point during the season, you have to save money on an episode. So you would have fewer sets, fewer actors, right? And, and it's called the bottle episode. So it was like the episode you use, you use the extra cash to like really blow it out in the finale. And I feel mm-hmm. like I am the bottle episode. Uh, <laughs> after listening to some of your other interviews, some of these people, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm like the, the discount version of, so, of, of the, uh, of like, I like the good, the, the good stuff's coming later. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't feel that way at all. Oh, no, it's just it's a it's a fun way to think about you yeah know, where, where you fit in. Like right. I, I, Aaron Briggs is a very he's early, awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's he was really good. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, um, and I actually reached out to him after I heard that episode to talk to him about some other stuff. But yeah. uh, and then I I listened to a couple this summer, like back mm-hmm. to back to back. And mm-hmm. the, there's a guy who played bass in a, a rock band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris Gann. Chris Gann. Yeah, I mean, I, as a fellow bassist. I was, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I mean, he, he articulated a lot of things. So yeah. I kind of felt. You, do you agree that Paul McCartney is the product manager of the Beatles? Oh yeah. I, mm-hmm. I, I was the product manager of my band yeah. and I was just the bass mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think, I don't even think my mom understood my role. <laughs> um, she was like, you play a guitar? No, mom. No, I play, I play a bass. I play bass. It's, it's a little different. It's a little different. Mm-hmm. I'm good friends with the drummer and I carry the heavy stuff. That's my job. Um, yeah. But yeah. So anyway, bottle episode. So I, yeah. I so uh, for any listeners, yeah, uh, I, I, I think they'll they'll appreciate that warning. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they've been warned. Yeah. So you had told me before you came on that you wanted to make sure that we didn't waste people's time. So now yeah. we just we just wasted five minutes, but that's it is a podcast. <laughs> they, but they mm. may have learned what a bottle episode. That's is. exactly so, right. Yeah. Right. 
And you want to talk about things that people ask you about when yes. they come talk to you. And one of those things is, should I go out on my own? Should I go out on my own? How do you, as someone who has gone out on his own. So much, somewhat mm. against his will. It's, it's right. Yeah, timing a, was not, not of my choosing. That was how I started my business, was against my will. Uh, yeah. Necessity, man. <laughs> well, no, it's, 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 what an incredible gift. I mean, for me. Oh, yeah, this is awesome. the most fun I've ever had. It's awesome. And um, if I was, if, it, if the things that happened to me hadn't happened to me, I'd still be miserable, <laughs> you know, because I'd, I'd be working for somebody else. I, I okay, slightly different experiences yeah. there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I was laid off mm-hmm. um, along with my team and I actually figured it out. I don't know if I told you this. I, I figured it out on a Sunday. So I got a weird... I got a weird calendar invite from the CEO mm. and I, I, I called up, uh, the, then the, the person who's my boss and I was like, I'm getting canned tomorrow, aren't I? Mm-hmm. And she sounded awful. She like, she like, she sounded terrible on the phone and she said, yeah. It's like, okay, well tell you what, let's save everyone 10 minutes mm-hmm. and I, I just won't go. You, I'll return equipment, you know, everything else. Um, Told my wife, uh, told my wife that I was going to spend the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday helping out other people who were letting, who are going to be let go. So there's a significant number of people and, and some of them I had hired, did, no longer reported to me. Some of them I had hired and promoted and still reported to me. And my wife was like, okay, I mean, that's too nice, but sure, go do it. Well, that Monday I got three phone calls from people who had no idea what had happened. They had no idea that I was, I mean, I didn't, I hadn't changed my LinkedIn yet, you know, and all three of those turned into clients. Um, so I, I'd say, I'd say the, 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 the first thing about going out on your own, a lot of people go out on their own when they're kind of at the same stage that I think you and I were at, mm-hmm. even if they weren't let go of someplace, mm-hmm. they, you know, they're, they're, they want a little bit more control over their own destiny. Maybe they've got some money. I mean, we, my wife and I, we had some, some money put away. So like you kind of have the, you have the space to do it. I think the biggest thing is if you're not getting pulled into it, then it's probably not for you. It's really interesting. You know, it's like, um, so my, my daughter, Mary Frances wants to be an actor. Mm -hmm. She's in Los Angeles and, um, I recently hired her to write a blog for me. She did a fantastic job. and. being an actor is in business for yourself. Every act, everybody in a creative field, like acting, writing, directing, you are an entrepreneur in business for yourself. Absolutely. And there's the saying about it of like, well, you should not do this if you can imagine your life doing anything else. And um, there's something to be said about like, on the one hand, I don't like putting false barriers up in front of people for starting businesses because the fact is that the only thing you need to start a business is a customer. You don't need a name. You don't need a card. You don't need, no. a, you know, nothing. All you need is a customer. And uh, I think we, we overcomplicate starting businesses by saying we need things other than a customer. I, I agree. I agree. But by the same token, if you're going to make it go, like starting a business is easy. Like, okay, it's I, like 300 bucks. Right. You know, there's yeah. lots of, I've, I've run into several people who are like, oh, I've started 17 businesses. And I'm always like, Oh my God. That's a lot of dry cleaners. (laughs) That is so terrible. Why would anyone start 17 businesses? Something must be wrong. I'm a little sympathetic there. Okay. Uh, Yeah. I I don't, I don't, 
I mean, I think it'd be cool, you know, to like have a bunch of, but, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the thing that you have to be focused on is the customer mm-hmm. or like getting that first customer, right? Yeah. Getting one person to say yes. And that, and that goes really for any kind of sales motion. Right. But mm. I, I have a really close friend who was recently laid off from one of these big high flying tech companies. And, and he, and he's debate, like, you know, he's, he's 40, he just turned 42. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of you know, that middle age, like mm-hmm. I know a lot of stuff he's, he's done, he's built and sold companies, right? Like he's a legit guy. And, and he called me several times last week asking about it. And I told him the thing, I was like, Hey, people aren't coming to you organically. Then like, that's something to think about. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He got, he gets that part pretty well. He's, he's done sales and marketing his whole career. But the thing that he was asking me about is like, Hey, I really want to do this thing. This is like the very specific niche that I think if I go out on my own, people will pay me for. And I was like, that's interesting. Yeah. And you should pitch that. Mm -hmm. So you should kind of make it known, like using your network, that that's what your, that's your niche and that's what you'd like to do. But what I, what, what I found and what surprised me when I went out on my own is that so many of the things that I do well, I've done well for a while and I take them for granted. Yes. And I kind of do them for free. Yes. You know, it's like the, it's like the thing, it's like you'll hear musicians say that, um, when you go on tour, you're not paid for the show, you're paid for the travel. (laughs) <laughs> like they do the show for free. Yeah. Right. But like you're really like what they're really getting paid for is like being away from home, sleeping in hotels every night, all that kind of stuff. And so, mm-hmm. um, th- I was like, I was like, be, be a little bit more open-minded man, because, cause this is a friend too, who I think like I've talked to him about different projects that I've had in the past and, and I have a pretty high bar when it comes to marketing. Mm-hmm. And he is like, when he talks about product marketing, like specifically product marketing, he is phenomenal. Like he's one of the, like when I, I, I love talking to him about that one thing. Right. I'm like, and he, and I told him that and he didn't even know that yeah. he was really good at that. Right. I think so, that's super common. Yeah, it is super common. Yeah. Chris Saka has a story, the mm-hmm. VC guy. Um, mm-hmm. He has a story about that when he was out in the West coast and trying to like get into all these places. What he found is that the stuff he took for granted about himself the things that people paid him for yeah and 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 this isn't to say like you should just all be like natural and intuition but it, you should all like you you're probably used to your skill yes you know what i mean well it's it's like there's no correlation between effort and what someone will pay for something it's really hard to dig a ditch you're not going to get much more than 50 bucks for digging a ditch right you know, like an introduction, people, it's super easy to make introductions. People make millions of dollars because they made an introduction yeah. and they structured the introduction in a way where they would get credit for the outcome. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it really is. And so I think that's the other thing to keep in mind is like, I actually had an idea for what I wanted my consulting business to be. Mm-hmm. I pitched it to five people and all, everyone thought it was interesting. You, this is very producty of me, but everyone thought it was interesting. Mm-hmm. No one wanted me wanted to pay me for it. Yeah. Now, did that thing evolve and become something that my clients who I did work with and develop great relationships with love about me and lean on me for and gradually see the value in? Yes. Yeah. But like in terms of initially selling it, I was pretty unsuccessful. Well, when you're first starting a business, I think um, people are betting on you. It's the same thing when you go out and you're raising money. Yeah. Early in a venture, people are betting on you. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but a business can be very large and mature, and people are still buying that name. So Boston Consulting or McKenzie, am I buying them because I think I'm going to get a game-changing outcome? Maybe. But I'm probably buying them because they have a name that will, all doubt, will be extinguished in the organization for anything I'm trying to get done because I can say, well, Boston Consulting said this is yeah, what you're we risk. You're paying for You're paying for risk mitigation. Yeah. But even, you know. Reputational, there, usually. There's that, there's that. And there's also just like, well, they're going to grease the skids. I, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to win this argument internally myself, but I can pay somebody to win it for me. Yeah. Um, Look at this JD MBA from Harvard who went to his <laughs> undergrad at West Point and is an Olympian. That's right. <laughs> he thinks our pricing strategy is awful. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's funny. It's like I was I was joking with a friend today about um, private uh, private equity minders. So it's the kids in the in the Patagonia vests. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I own one. Just you, for the record. You own a, you own a Patagonia vest? I, I think I have two. Okay, just yeah. don't wear it to a board meeting. <laughs> I think I perhaps. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, it was just like he was saying to me, "This guy's got fifty points on me and IQ easy." And I said, "Yeah, but doesn't he ask really stupid questions?" And he's like, "Well, it's like you're absolutely because like he'll say something where you think, God, that's that's really interesting." And then you think about it for a moment and you're like, wait a minute, that is nowhere near reality. You have obviously never run anything and have no idea about how the business actually works. So you were talking earlier about you have to get in to the details of something to really understand it, whether that's to sell it, whether that's to manage it. You, you can't do that on a purely surface level. No. And in my, my opinion, the people who do the minding in private equity operate at a very, very surface level. Well, I, look, I, I don't run around too much with the PE folks, but, um, it, you know, it's, it, I, I'm developing a theory of, about the, the spread, like managing by spreadsheet crowd yeah, and why, mm -hmm. and why they tend to be particularly like kind of earlier mid-career overvalued. Yeah. Right. So like I was an investment banker at XYZ and then I went to this place and I got this like really important job. I do think that the one thing they have mm -hmm. is that they're willing to understand the revenue lever levers. I, I think like that has been one thing that just dumb luck helped me out. And I went out on my own. Is that I can build a model. Mm -hmm. Like my dad, you know, my dad was a commercial banker for a long time. He taught me about compound interest when I was 10. That's a useful thing to know. Useful thing to know. And so I can, I can build a model yeah. and I see, so many of the businesses that I work with or the people I talk to who are great leaders, great operators, really understand their industry, mm -hmm. but they, they still don't understand all the little levers that go into their business. Yeah. So I do think that there is something to be said for like a private equity or an investment banking type role where you understand that, right? I think financial engineering is an honest to God valuable skill. Oh, it, a, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. does it make the world a better place? No, no, <laughs> not. <laughs> but not it does ever. make people rich. Yeah, I, I heard a really interesting thing about uh, data the other day. Uh, I think this is a Marty Kagan. So mm -hmm. shout out to to Marty to Marty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we're personal friends. Mm -hmm. um, but he was talking about how the difference between quantitative and qualitative data, and he was mm -hmm. talking about it in the context of product. But mm -hmm. it, I think it, I think it is in everything. Mm -hmm. Um, quantitative data can, can, can be the source of truth on what's going on. Qualitative is the why. So to, like, to really understand what's happening, mm -hmm. you kind of need both. 
right? I can see that sales are down 25%. Mm-hmm. I can see that. That can have like ramifications on my forecast and right. ramifications on my hiring. Right, right. But like, what if the why is a link broke in my website? Or, uh, mm-hmm. or you know, um, I have two customers who are sending their their contract revisions to the wrong email address and it's a dead email address. Or what, what, like whatever the reason is. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so I think the criticism that's often fairly leveled at the spreadsheet crowd Mm -hmm. is that they're too spreadsheet driven. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair, but there's like the, the, the balance is, okay, what is the, what is the qualitative? Like, yeah, this is what the spreadsheet says, but why aren't our assumptions right? Right. Like what's really going on kind of behind the scenes? Are we not training appropriately? Do we have the wrong people hired in the, the wrong places, right? Like those, like the other big thing that you see a lot is people will talk about, oh, like we're, we're up. Like our sales are up 30% this year, whatever, right? right Make right, up a number. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, if your industry is up 60. <laughs> you're behind. You're behind, <laughs> right? Yes. And unless you have those comps in front of you all the time, right. like, you're not going to be aware. Yes, so, it's, um, I, I like the distinction. I've been thinking, uh, writing recently about the difference between why questions and how questions. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so. Um, <laughs> the what questions are even more basic. Even better, right, right. So it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, these are, uh, Margaret's writing a new book. And one of the chapters in Margaret's book is, um, what is it? How I don't, why I don't ask why, basically. And she says, how questions are better than why questions. That that a why question you're looking for a reason. And in many cases, you can make up any reason you want. And you often will. You often will. Yeah. And they're difficult to really determine which is a good one. But a how question, there's only one answer to it. Um, so like, how does it rain? Uh, well, the clouds get full of... Why does it rain? I have no idea. It could be anything you want. How does it rain? Clouds get full of water? You know, it's like, if I, if I look at that, if I study it, there's That's really, there's only one answer. Um, so when you ask the question about why are our sales down? All right, that's a start. But is that really a why question? Uh, pardon me, a how question of how do we improve sales? Right. So if I say, how do we improve sales? Then I start looking at things like, well, what is the entire buyer journey on the website? Oh, look, there's a broken link. Yeah. You know, how do we communicate? Are, with, yeah, you get it. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I that's... It's super interesting, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, what are sales down doesn't really make sense. So, right, right. It does. It's right. <laughs> what, it what is, are sales down? What are, the other thing to me is like, um, is like macroeconomic forces. And sort of what's interesting is you'll see a release of earnings. And when earnings are up, it's always, we're fucking awesome. And when earnings are down, it's like the environment is really tough. Yeah, there's inflation <laughs> is out of control. Right, right. You know, it's, so these regulatory it's like, well, requirements aren't are killing price us. Price increases. <laughs> That's right. Taking care of that. Yeah, like yeah, as a percentage more than inflation. Right. I just there's those um, public companies are, are political entities. Oh yeah. They're they're a, a, I'm not debating that. Right. I mean, it, they're a, they're a quasi government. Yeah. yeah. Um, and <laughs> so the the justifications in those organizations are similar to political justifications. Well, so if you read Thinking 101, Mm-mm. so um, I, I recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's basically a book about uh, th- this, I forget her name. I think it's, I can't call it right now, but 
she she teaches the most popular class at Yale, mm-hmm. and it's about all oh, the, the good life, isn't it? No, uh, that's a, I think Somebody I know she's talking about, but that's something else. Yeah. Okay. So this mm-hmm. is like basically all the the traps that we set mm-hmm. for ourselves mm-hmm. in terms of like how we think mm-hmm. and why we think what we think. Um, and she talks about this a lot, and she and and you know there's so much in like it's one of those books where it's like you can't read more than two pages at a time because you're like oh man like this has so many applications for like how i run a meeting Mm -hmm. how i look at my performance how i look at my team's performance but a lot of it it's it's funny how much of it her little anecdotes are around like company stuff Mm -hmm. and justifications and like this human need to like come up with a reason like we we do a horrible job at understanding random events like yeah like like and I see it all the time, like with my friends and my family, Yeah, like a random event. And there's always gotta be someone to blame. There's always gotta be a reason. There's always gotta, and it's like, no, like this is just, like, it's a random event. There's tails to the mm-hmm. bell curve. Mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> you know? Well, it's, I saw an analysis. They're saying like, you know, prior to the 2016 election, people were saying Trump had about a 30% chance of winning. That's 30%, man. Every now and then it happens. And so 30%. We, we, in our, in our analysis of that election, we tried to turn everything inside out and upside down thinking about, oh my God, how could this possibly happen? Well, he ran against someone who was really unpopular. Well, and, and mm-hmm. his odds of victory mm-hmm. were not zero. We're not zero. Right. right. They were like, they were 30. They were 30 and it came up. Yeah. You know, That's how it works, man. And I think that, that understanding that there is a large component of a roulette wheel to much of what we do helps um, interpret what's going on. It's like, you know, there's, there's always narratives in sports about trying to understand why did one team win? Yep. And it's, well, random variation. You know, but who wants to hear that? Reversion to the mean. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, all, uh, over a long enough time span, everyone's 500. Yeah, exactly. We all, <laughs> like, we all come back to the mean. Unless like they have, you know, a horrible owner. Right. So um, another thing you wanted to, talk about you say when people come to ask you about it, is difference between sales and product and yeah. how you get those to work together well i i like i can't make any promises in working together <laughs> okay <laughs> even though you have had both roles i even have I've had <laughs> leadership roles in both yeah uh-huh. i should i should have a, a more well let's talk a little bit about how they go wrong too oh man um that they can that we can talk all day about that um mm-hmm. so sales and product like w- one thing that i always that always tickles me is when I'll encounter product people who are sales averse mm-hmm. and they like, and I, I, I've been on both sides here, right? I've been in both locker rooms of this battle. So I think a lot of times those product people think of sales as like the dumb frat and sorority crowd mm-hmm. who like is smart enough to like, and like super extroverted Right. And like, I'd say it's about how most people think of sales. Yeah. Yeah. Non sales people. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and meanwhile, you know, the like sales crowd tends to think of the product crowd is like, uh, like the guy in Animal House who's like playing the classical guitar at the party. <laughs> and like they're thoughtful and really intelligent, but they're just like so disconnected from the world around them. Yes. You know? <laughs> And I think and, it's a perfect analogy. I love that. Yeah, thanks. You mm-hmm. yeah, put your book. Right. And, and, and uh, Bluto <laughs> breaks his guitar. He's like, and Pluto, I'm just trying to close the deal. Can you stop playing this guitar? And doesn't doesn't mm-hmm. and doesn't Pluto end up like becoming a senator? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he marries the pretty girl alert. and he becomes a senator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, mm-hmm. I'm sure he had a lovely sales career prior. But <laughs> um 
<laughs> but but what, 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 so when I get, I think it's really funny that there's like so much like kind of like they're different. Mm-hmm. There's tribalism. I've had both roles. I actually went into sales as a backdoor into product. I had kind of missed my window to be an engineer. Came out of grad school, um, took a flyer. I, I I met someone who I really respected who was a product leader. And they said, well, if you want a product job, you either got to go get it through sales or through engineering. Those are kind of your options. And I was like, well, the engineering's not happening. Mm-hmm. So, so I went into sales and then I went into product. And I was, mm-hmm. I was in sales for what, four, four or five years. I went into product and more before grad school. And then I went into product for about six years after mm-hmm. I was in sales. Mm-hmm. It, it, if you're doing it right, mm-hmm. they are the same job. Yeah. And what, what I mean by that is I, when I had product managers working for me, mm-hmm. I minimized the internal meetings that they went to. And I told them that whenever they had to talk to a customer and cancel a one-on-one, change a meeting, whatever, that was okay. Because like you have to get, they're, they're, both jobs are so much about like having authentic conversations with someone who you believe has a problem you can solve. The only difference is um, really the timeline in which you can solve it. Mm-hmm. It is the method in which you solve it, mm-hmm. right? And it is. It, and it is the kind of, uh, the, the feeling, the, the feeling of victory, like how, how intense your victory is. If you close a deal and you get ink on a contract as a salesperson, mm-hmm. that feels really good. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we live for, right? We have a Slack channel at work that is all our signed contracts coming through. Mm-hmm. And then when that thing's paying in, I'm on top of the world. <laughs> My house could be burning down. I work, I work with a sales leader once. He says, I have uh, one question in interviews. I said to people, what's your favorite part about selling? Oh, fresh paper, baby. He said, if they don't say closing, I don't hire them. Uh, well, mm-hmm. no one should be in a, like, no one should say, like in a sales interview, you should never say anything other than that. Right. It's like, said, you know, just getting up in I the like, morning. I like people, you know, I like to solve problems. Yeah. Okay. I like creating it, records in Salesforce. <laughs> uh, um, but, but, you know, the pro- but product is, is really interesting because in product, and I've had this both ways mm-hmm. where you can make a change, you can have, you can talk to customers, you can make a change, you can ship a change hours later mm-hmm. and you can see the impact on most customers. Mm-hmm. And that is amazing. Like it's, you know, no one's like holding you up in the air, but like, that's amazingly satisfying. What tends to happen in product is you work on something for years and years um, the book, The Messy Middle, describes it really well. You, you feel like you've been lost in the desert mm-hmm. forever. You maybe make a change. You put it on the roadmap. It gets done. It's released. But three months ago, you left that company. And you have no idea. Like, yes. it, it can be, it can be brutal. I, I, I had a product that I worked on. Um, and I, I demoed it in beta to the company mm-hmm. right before I left that company mm-hmm. and they released it two and a half years later. And now it's a major driver of their business. And, and like, I'm not there. No. Like, and it's, and it's I, I, an engineer who's still there was telling me, it's like, it's the same thing. Same thing same you were talking thing. about. Yeah. It's the same. It's literally, it's literally the same code. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So it like, those are the differences. Um, I think that if, 
I think really good product people and really good salespeople have a lot more in common than they mm-hmm. have different. And, and I've always been really impressed um, by both groups of people who like really have a hunger to understand the, their prospects or customers and the problems, the, the problem mm-hmm. that they're trying to solve. I, I mean, I love salespeople for that reason. Um, the, the point where I get frustrated with salespeople as a product person is they, they don't always listen or they listen selectively. Now, they're certainly not the only people who do that. So, so, th- so this is, I, I, I understand that. And mm-hmm. I, I've had that issue as well. Mm-hmm. I, I have come to the conclusion, however uncomfortable it is, mm-hmm. that if someone's not understanding you, the problem is with you. Mm-hmm. I know that's like not always what I want to hear. No, I, I totally get that. I mean, it's just, um, that's a kind of radical empathy point of view. Um, and there's, there's actually, there's, there's a, a principle in recovery about oh whenever I'm, whenever I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. Mm. So if I'm holding a resentment that someone has done, you know, I've been wronged by this person, I can't expect relief from them. Uh, I have to get that relief by, you know, um, praying for them. And in my, this is a little off topic, but yeah, in my opinion, in my opinion, Prayer works whether there's a God or not, and it also works whether you believe in God or not. So uh, it's kind of like an all-purpose thing. Uh, so if you pray for that person, and then you also think about what's my part in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say you're uh, in the meeting, and you've got resources you're fighting for, and your nemesis is fighting for resources, and, and he gets them or she gets them, and you, you go home dry. Rather than shaking your fist at the world and saying, I got screwed again and these people are jerks, think about, well, why did I lose? Or even why, how did I lose? How is, it that I didn't, how is it that I didn't form this argument? Or what kind of an argument do I need to form to win again? Or, or product person who's frustrated. Yeah, yeah. How can I sell this better? Uh, that's a great, that's the best question. Yeah. How can I sell this better? Or, or, yeah. Like, and- mm-hmm. And what I, what I've found is, is going back to the thinking one-on-one book, which yeah. in case you can't tell, I just finished it. <laughs> uh, but, but one of the things that she talks about in there that I, that I have tried to really bring into my work life and mm-hmm. my home life for that mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. is that she talks about a, a, a test or an experiment they did with couples that had been together for 15 plus years, mm-hmm. right? So these are, these are partners who, who really lived together for 15 plus years, in many cases, raised a family together mm-hmm. or are raising a family. And they did these communication tests. And what they found is even the couples that were the happiest and the best communicators, mm-hmm. once the spouses would generally only understand about 50% what their spouse was telling them about a complicated topic or like a topic that was maybe heated or whatever. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and they said the, the way that the way in which you fix that problem mm-hmm. is to be more explicit. Mm-hmm. So you, you remove your ad adverbs and adjectives. You, you take out all your qualifiers and you say, I want to do this tonight, right? Like yeah. I want to do this thing tonight. Like, Sounds like a little too dry, mm-hmm. but like when it's things that are important, you need to be more explicit. And I think that a lot of times I, I've been in organizations on the sales side where products release something and it's like, Hey, we got this thing. 
<laughs> I'm like, cool. That's right. <laughs> now what? Now what? Yeah. Is there any value in what you released? Why did you build it? Yeah. yeah. What do you want me to do with it? Mm-hmm. Do you think our clients care? Yeah. Tell me why they care. Yeah. Right. Tell, like, cause like, let's be real. Salespeople want to hit their number. Mm-hmm. Like they want to make as much money as possible. So like, which isn't you, a bad thing for anybody. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> As a VP of revenue, I agree. Uh, <laughs> no, it's like I can't stand it. So it's, oh, the sales team, they're getting too rich. Why is that a problem? Yeah. <laughs> so, can I tell a quick story about that? Yeah, please. So I, I was about three years into my sales career and I called into a conference room. And in the conference room is all the leadership of the company yeah. um, above me. And I was, mm-hmm. an, I was an AE. I, had an AE. Mm-hmm. I was an AE and I had like kind of an assistant AE that helped me out and had like kind of an mm-hmm. SDR guy. But, it, you know, I was mostly an IC. Mm-hmm. And I'm in there. Everyone is in there, but the CEO. The CEO is traveling. So COO, me, CFO, um, head of product was in there. Product marketing, marketing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my boss mm-hmm. um, and our CRO mm-hmm. was in there. And I had no idea. I was like, "What? Like, what's going on here? Like, am I getting promoted? Like, what? this is super weird." And during the meeting, they're talking about the accounts I had brought in over the past quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How dare you bring in all this revenue? No, no. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just mm-hmm. like, hey, like, let's go. Like, it was really weird. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, uh, man, you signed those guys too? Like, what mm-hmm. was that like? And like, I was, you know, mm-hmm. walked them through it. And, and at one point, the head of marketing, I guess, said the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. But he was like, guys, if Ben keeps up this pace, mm-hmm. he will be by far the highest paid person in the company. And I was like, oh. Right. That's why we're here. That's right. We're talking about like how I do this mm-hmm. and like, and like, and, 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 mm-hmm. and thankfully at the time yeah. I had a lot of advocates and they were like, mm-hmm. yeah, isn't that great? Like yeah. we'll have a sales guy. Um, so I, I, I'm with you there. Like everyone wants to make a lot of money and, 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 and product people look great product. People are mm-hmm. obsessed with outcomes. Yeah. Like they, they want to ship. They want to ship it right. Mm-hmm. They understand it's going to take a long time and a lot of iterations to get there. A mm-hmm. lot of customer interviews, mm-hmm. a lot of like sitting down with people, a lot of banging your head against the wall, a lot of people on the engineering team that think they have better ideas. P.S. They don't. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm losing my train of thought here. That's okay. Uh, and, and they, give me a minute. <laughs> this, is, this is why podcasts are tough. This, this is a bottle episode thing. Um, you were talking about, uh, let me see if I can get back to it now. No, you were talking about being in the room and oh, yeah, they, they were trying to figure out like how to, you were getting this yeah, done. Yeah, so, sorry. So, mm-hmm. so, so product people, you have to figure, like you put all this blood, sweat, and tears. Now mm-hmm. your job is to tell the salesperson mm-hmm. why the thing you've worked on mm-hmm. will make them money. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, product people love throwing around words like empathy. Guess what? Mm-hmm. Now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. Like you got to be empathetic to it. It's just like, hey, sales team, we did this. Mm-hmm. This is why we did it. This is why your customers care. This is why their customers are going to pay for it. Yeah. And if you can articulate that, you will have zero problem communicating with your sales team. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you, um, as you say, help them hit their number. If what you're talking about, and this isn't unique to salespeople. If what I'm talking no. about has nothing to do with somebody's day-to-day, why would they listen to me in a business setting? I, was, I just had a great conversation this morning with a former podcast uh, guest, uh, Jonas Friedrichsen. And Jonas, we were talking about enterprise sales and healthcare. 
And Jonas had a, had a great analogy. He said, things have changed so much now that the salesperson doesn't sell marketing sales. By the time you get the lead as a salesperson, yeah. the person wants to buy from you. Your job is to help them navigate their organization so they can get that done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, I, I, I mean, yeah. I, I remember I was working on a deal with NBC mm -hmm. and it, it, like they had, the, the guy I was working with, my champion on the deal, mm -hmm. like came to me. Mm -hmm. It's weird, worked with a different group within NBC and he had kind of heard about us and he literally called me. Mm -hmm. Right. So you think it's like done deal, mm -hmm. but his procurement, he was more on the technology side of things. So his procurement process was way more onerous. Yeah. And I am doing what every immature salesperson does. And I am bitching to my boss about it. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this procurement guy is such a jerk. Bop, 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 bop. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, he goes, well, what kind of relationship does your champion have with this procurement guy? None. And I was like, none. He's just yeah. like a guy on an mm -hmm. email thread. Mm -hmm. It's like, when you go to New York again, I was like, oh, I'm going next week. It's like, here's what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. You're going to turn around and you go back to your desk. You're going to call up the procurement guy and you're going to ask him where he wants to go to lunch. Yeah. And you're going to take that guy to lunch mm -hmm. and you're going to be nice. You're yeah. going to be kind. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn about them. Yeah. And that's all you're going to do. Yeah. And, and for so, God's sake, don't talk about the product. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, in that case, in that case, like mm -hmm. it, it really was like, I, I, I did exactly what he said. Yeah. Went up and met the guy. Mm -hmm. I could tell that, that people had treated this procurement guy like a doormat his entire career. Yeah. Every sales guy tried to bulldoze him. Yeah. Every single one. The guy's like in his fifties. Yeah. So for 30 plus years, he said salespeople got to go around them, over them, under them, mm -hmm. undermine them, leave them off things, treat them like a nuisance. Yeah. I just went and talked to him. Mm -hmm. He's a nice guy. He's mm -hmm. gonna be not the most exciting, dynamic person, no. but like a nice guy. <laughs> and, and my champion thanked me. Yeah. Because I was like, hey, man, I'm taking so and so to lunch. Mm -hmm. Like, let's you and I go get drinks the day, day mm -hmm. or two later. Mm hmm. And he was like, yeah, man, he's like, he's emailing me back on time. He's like, you know, he's clearly prioritized this. And like, I wasn't like extra charming. I didn't threaten no. him. I was just like a normal person. Yeah. I asked him what being in procurement was like. Cause I was like, how do I, how yeah. do I talk to people like you? Yeah. And that, that, that's exactly not only the mindset, as you say, product and sales are the same job. Um, that's the same mindset you have in product when you're trying to figure out, um, am I building this the right way? Like the huge problem we do in product is we put pictures in front of people and go, do you like it? And they go, blue's my favorite color. Right. Exactly. They have, yeah. it's, they, we don't spend any time trying to understand their life. Where does this fit in into what they're doing? It's a piece of software. No one cares. They don't love it. You know, it's like they're there to get something done. I'm trying to think of software I love and I can't. Come yeah, that's right. It's hard, it's hard to come up with any software that does jobs, but you know, it's, it's like, I just want that job done. Yeah. I don't love forks. I, I, I think that there are lots of product people, lot, lot, let's be real, lots mm -hmm. of leaders, CEOs, yeah. whatever, mm -hmm. who their product or service would be markedly better mm -hmm. if they actively worked to make it invisible. <laughs> Absolutely. But that runs counter to a lot of business, a, a lot of financial well, models. Well, no, no, like mm -hmm. you can still have the business. You can yeah, yeah. be an, a, you know, a API as a service. Like, I don't care. Right. Like, but I may not make... achieve a monopoly yeah, well, or at least a monopoly then, that you, gets me you in may. the Wall Street Journal. I might. Yeah. You may. And I, I think it runs counter to their ego. Totally. Totally. Like, well, if I'm, 
if my comp if the goal of my company is to yeah. be invisible to everyone who isn't a customer, the only time yeah. they interact with me is when we're selling to them mm -hmm. and then we're folded into the thing and we're invisible. Yeah. Our product or service is invisible. Yeah. Then I can't justify putting my logo on a Patagonia vest. <laughs> like just be invisible. Yes. Like I don't I don't right. I don't need mm. like I don't need your interface. No. Integrate with mine. I, I don't mm. need, I don't need your service to call and email and text me every week, every month, whatever. Yeah. Just sh like show up and do it. Like I, yeah. I, I think that there's so much and that's kind of counter. I mean, I guess I do like the text messages, but like just be invisible. Like that is your job. Mm-hmm. Um, cause to your point, no one loves software. No. I think one of the, the core problems of business is that it's selfish and self-centered. So to go back to recovery thing for a minute, yeah, please. Um, I got a um, really good piece of advice from a new um, person who's helping with my um, search engine optimization. She said, um, you need to write what she calls the, the money piece, which is that everything you're going to hang all your content off of. So okay. it's supposed to be very broad, but you're going to link back to it a ton from other things you'll write later that will go into more detail from this central, very broad piece. Okay. And so I want to write about, you know, applying principles of recovery to business. And the, the chief issue with addicts is that they're selfish and self-centered. Yeah. So also the chief problem with business is that it's selfish and self-centered. Yeah. So when we sell, we're thinking about how do I get to the finish line that I want? How do I get to that thing I love, ink yeah. on paper? I'm not thinking about the life of the other human being I'm talking to. I'm not thinking about, hey, you know what? The guy in procurement, he's not a robot. He actually has a wife and kids and a family yeah. and he has to eat lunch like anybody else. Yep. Um, so I think that um, we can be more successful in the sense of we're going to like our jobs more and we're going to have better relationships with people if we decide not to be selfish and self-centered. Right. And and can I add to this? Yeah, please. Um I like you're not advocating for no profit motive when you're doing no. that. You're not advocating for some grand communist utopia. No. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's so funny. I have, I have two SDRs right now. Um, and I spend a lot of time with them. Mm -hmm. Right. As I should. And we were, we talk about this all the time. Like it, it's so funny how they think. Mm -hmm just from like what they've seen from TV and movies and maybe friends that are in like less mature sales programs. Mm -hmm. it, they, they are trying and so laser focused on like the outcome that they want. Mm -hmm. And, and, and a lot of it's fear, right? Like they're like, I'm doing this, like SDRs, you know, not the, like both in both their cases, this is relatively entry level. Mm -hmm. And so they're like constantly like trying to get like what they want. And, and we do, I, I'm a big fan of role plays for salespeople. Yeah. Like the, the way I, the way I phrase it is, you know, if you train hard, the race is easy. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, and we, this is the role play we do all the time. It's like, no, no, no. Like, talk to me like a normal person. Yeah. Ask me, like, figure out what's going on with me. Understand my motivations. Mm -hmm. Right. Like start there. Cause here's the thing. If you do that. Mm-hmm you will inevitably feel closer to that person. 
they will inevitably feel closer to you. Mm -hmm. They will feel heard Mm -hmm. and they will have respect for you. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so they say no now, that's fine. Who cares? Right. Because they may say yes in the future. And an honest no, a fast, honest no is the second best answer in sales. And it's, and honestly, it's one of the, it's probably the most prevalent. Yeah, but you, I mean, it's like, that's the business you're in. So the, the, the thing I, the other thing I tell them is like, if you're really like working so hard to like close something like this where mm-hmm. the person's just generally not interested and you, you, you haven't managed it well in terms of like your selfishness, mm-hmm. if, you, if like that's such a thing for you, mm-hmm. then like you're, it's never going to work. Mm-hmm. It's never going to work. You're never going to, cl- like, you're never going to close. Like you're, you're working against yourself. Yeah. The other thing is, um, peop, nobody likes to be manipulated. Nobody likes to feel like they're being forced into something or pushed around. And those are immediately ways that you build resistance is by now, obviously being angry in a bully does work, but they don't tend to work great with, um, until you've already established a relationship with yeah, someone. You, you, they it only works if you've already if you are already winning the power dynamic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's like and and let's be real, if you're starting out in sales and or product, mm-hmm. you are not winning the power dynamic. Mm-mm. Like you come into some junior PM and you're like, "Hey infrastructure team, um <laughs> it'd be great if I could interview each of you for 2 hours." <laughs> like I don't want to like no. get the hell mm-hmm. out of here. Right, right. That's you know? not going to work. It's not going to work. But if yeah. you're like, "Hey infrastructure team, wow, like mm-hmm. let's talk like can I just watch you for 2 hours?" Yeah. Can I like see what you're doing? Yeah. Eventually that person's going to be like, "Why are you watching me?" Right. <laughs> How can I help you? That's right. That's right. No, I mean that that um Establishing credibility is um, so important. In any, but you in any do it endeavor. by being unselfish. You do it by being unselfish. Oh, another thing. Like when you first start dating somebody. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when Anna and I first started dating, I was in college. I went and I got a new set of outfits. So it was like, I got a, a, a set of outfits. Well, I, yeah, I know, I know. I was, I was, I was a spoiled rich kid. Um, so I went, I went to- I don't the, think I've ever gotten a set of outfits. Set of outfits? Yeah, yeah it was, I mean, that's, it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> anyway, there was, there was a, a, a department store used to like exist here in Nashville called McClure's. And um, it was like the nice store. It was like, it's, it's like Nordstrom's-ish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I went out there and bought like collared shirts and, you know, maybe a <laughs> pair of pants or two. Because I want, I need, I know, I was like, I need to up my game. This woman's, you know, an impressive person. Yeah, yeah. Anna doesn't strike me as someone who, uh, <laughs> you know, is is like she she wants she wants laundered apparel. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was uh, anyway. Anyway, you know, it's like you have to you have to try to put the best face forward on the product. You know, it's like, can we do some kind of a UI facelift on this thing, even if the back end's a miserable mess? You know. Uh, I, I, I want to go back to this, like the, the status seeking stuff. Cause I think this, yeah. uh, so one of the things in the, in the, I, I, I feel like I'm like plugging a book I wrote. I didn't write this book, but mm-hmm. the, one of the things in the thinking one on one book that, that I thought was super interesting is they did a study mm-hmm. where they went out and they asked a group of people, uh, I forget how they structured it exactly, but they were like, if you were trying to appear to be high status, what would you do to a stranger? 
and the answers were all what you think. Yeah. Buy a BMW, buy a Rolex, yeah. get, you know, pair of Gucci loafers, mm-hmm. all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I guess that they let enough time go by and they went back to the same people and they said, um, what do you think mm-hmm. of all these people? And they describe people who go out and, you know, buy BMWs, Rolexes, they don't like them. loafers. They don't like them. Mm-hmm. It's like, mm-hmm. I think they did in the t- context of a neighbor. Yeah. So if you had a, if you had a neighbor you were trying to impress, what would you do? I'd wear a Rolex, buy a fancy car. No, I would do something nice for them. Well, you because you write books about virtue. <laughs> but like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, but I mean, first the first thought when you asked the question was, yeah, I, I look fancy. You know, I try to look sharp. You try to look sharp, like mm-hmm. you did for Anna. I mean, mm-hmm. really, yeah. Anna looked past it. And yes, got right, lesser. she could see right through it. Uh, <laughs> this is obviously an act. Yeah, <laughs> which it probably made you more endearing in some weird way. You had an right. outfit. I, I right. um, but I, 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 I think of that as really interesting. And, and to your to what you said, I mm-hmm. think that the real way. And, you know, shame on me. I'm in my mm-hmm. 40s and I still, you know, struggle mm-hmm. with this. Mm-hmm. But the real way is to, like, not talk about yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what it boils down to. Yeah. And I had this game I play at parties that Amy gets mad at me. Where if I meet someone new, mm-hmm. I try to see how long I can go without talking about myself. I love that game. That's it's not the- easy. for, And I'm an arrogant person. <laughs> I know you like to talk. Yeah, I like to yeah. talk, too. Um, so that that's actually an old Southern um, female play. What you're talking about is like my Anna would say to me, "It's like you, when you meet my her mother, my my blessed 94 year old mother in law. She really is awesome. She's amazing. Anyway, um, when you meet Betty, you'll talk to Betty for an hour, and you'll come away and you'll be like, "Wow, that was a great conversation. She knows a lot about me." And you're like, "I don't know anything about her." Uh, I didn't hear a thing about that. Anna, Anna's mom, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, that is a superpower. It's is, amazing. Is that um, disarming someone. They have a great time. They tell you all about themselves. They know nothing at all about so, you. So here's the thing. I, I, I don't think you do yourself favors if you think of it as disarming. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like w- the, the times I've really enjoyed it when I've been successful. I'll give you, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. So I was mm-hmm. at a party Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And um, I ran into a friend there. Mm-hmm. Um, I just call this guy a friend. We text occasionally, mm-hmm. you know, kids are friends kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's an entrepreneur in town. He's, d- he's done quite well. And, and I, God, I love it when people do this. I was like, hey, man, how's it going? And he kind of gives me this look. And he knows, like, he knows that I'm like a revenue guy, mm-hmm. right? Like, he mm-hmm. knows he's in mm-hmm. a safe space. Mm-hmm. And, and he's like, oh, man, it's like we, you know, we had to basically say no to this huge, like company changing deal. And, and which one, I appreciate his honesty. Yeah. Like a lot of people, like, oh, I'm good. That's right. <laughs> it's not very informative. Yeah. And, um, he said that and I was like, you know what? I am going to learn everything. Mm-hmm. And again, cause I, I really respect this guy. I like mm-hmm. him a lot. I think mm-hmm. his company's mission is super cool. Mm-hmm. Like I'm supportive of this person. Like, mm-hmm. so this is a, you know, maybe not the best example. Yeah. But I was like, I'm going to learn everything I can about why he lost this deal. Yeah. What its impact is. And so for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. he just therapied. Right. Yeah. End of it. He looks at me and he kind of gets this like twinkle in his eye. He goes, well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Cause like what happens is inevitably, if you're genuinely curious, mm-hmm. then like it'll get turned. Yeah. 
And if it doesn't get turned, then that's probably a selfish person to begin with. Yeah, you may be turning the wrong person. Yeah, but but uh, so I said I wanted this to be helpful, and we're talking forty five minutes, and mm-hmm. you know whatever. But another question I get a lot is how do I evaluate salespeople? Yeah, how do you do that? Um, I start every interview the same way. Mm-hmm. I say, look, here's the deal: you got this far. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking to me. I'm the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. Let's we're, we'll interview the interview thirty minutes. For the first 20 minutes of this interview, mm-hmm. you can ask me any question you want and nothing is off limits. <laughs> How many people freeze? Um, so the, the, the sad reality is this does not need to be 20 minutes because I, now I know, now I know what, mm-hmm. what good looks like. Yeah. So the, the worst is I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, second worst mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. Here's, I, I got so many of these when I was hiring AEs. Yeah. Oh, this company's experienced so much growth in the past six months. How'd you do it? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, look, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, you mm-hmm. must have a really low opinion of me to mm-hmm. like, ask that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. The, the best, one of the best salespeople I've ever hired, mm-hmm. li- I, I'm not making this up, Tom, literally started licking his lips. <laughs> Like like a cartoon wolf about to eat a steak. (laughs) But but here's what he did. But here's what he did. Yeah. What are people that are successful in this position? What are they doing differently than people that aren't? What is like your biggest challenge in terms of talking to your customers? Is it finding them? Is it setting up like that first message? Is it keeping them engaged? What's your sales cycle look like and how do you think it could be improved? Mm-hmm. What are your hiring plans for the team if revenue growth hits X? I mean, bam, 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 bam. Like yeah. quizzing me. Yeah. Super intelligent question. Those are just like the first level questions. Like yeah. he had in like tertiary, like, yeah, like yeah. deep, deep stuff. And at the end of the 20 minutes, you know, he knows everything. Yeah. In this case, it was he. He knows everything that I'm looking for in someone. And he can he can craft his personal, like why he's good. Mm-hmm. He can put that in his answers to the questions I'm about to ask him. Mm-hmm. He can follow up on stuff. He can, he can just randomly provide advice. Like I remember I was interviewing someone else to answer the question well. And I said, well, one of the problems he was like, he's like, what are your challenges in scaling this team? Mm-hmm. And I was like, is figuring out the coaching, like having enough time to like individually coach every person on this team. He was like, well, what are you doing about it? And I told him, he's like, well, have you tried these tools? Right. Like he knew yeah, yeah. like, mm-hmm. he's like, I was like, look, we're in the club. Yeah. Like I, I'm in your world. Right. And like, I'm bringing, I'm bringing expertise to you. Yeah. Right. So, so that's the best answer. Um, which the way I thought of it, cause we were talking about curiosity in general. Yeah. I, I got to say the other one that I use that I love, that's mm-hmm. been really like a really good indicator of success later on. Yeah. And, uh, and a shout out to Max. Um, I'm going to listen to this, but he, he gave me the best answer, but you know, especially the smaller, like, so I'm a startup guy. I don't mm-hmm. know. We didn't even do an intro, did we? You just called oh, me I in. Always, I, I can talk about it up. later. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it later. Um, but, but, you know, I've always been at like, with one or two exceptions, I've been at like smaller companies, like yeah. little like high pressure growth stage companies. Yeah. So one of the things that goes along with that is like, I can't be your babysitter. Mm-hmm. And you hear sales leaders say that all the time, but like, no, really, I can't. I don't have sales enablement. I don't have training. Yeah. Like usually that, that stuff's not really built out yet. Right. So I asked Max, or asked all the candidates, I was like, okay, what is, what is one thing that you've wanted to improve personally or professionally? Walk me through how you did it. 
So with that one, you get one of two answers. Mm-hmm. You get a rambling answer that makes zero <laughs> no sense. sense. <laughs> I mean, it is like, so, yeah. like you're just like you like feel bad for like I've yeah. interrupted people and been like, okay, like okay. we can move on. Yeah, yeah. Like you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, but Max laughs. He starts mm-hmm. laughing. Yeah, and he goes, "This is this is like kind of coming out of COVID. Not coming out of COVID. We were mm-hmm. about to head back into COVID the second or third time." Mm-hmm. But he's like, when COVID hit, I really, like, I didn't want to, like, sit in my house all day. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, me either. Like, Right, who did? Who did? He's like, so I decided I, w- I want to do Frisbee golf. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to do Frisbee golf. It's an excuse to get out, drive around, see mm-hmm. the world a little bit. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, okay. So it's like, okay, he's got something. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's trivial, but, like, let's see how he approached it. Sure. So I was like, well, what'd you do? Oh, well, I, um, I went on Amazon. First I went on YouTube and mm-hmm. I just like watched a couple of YouTube videos about it. Good place uh, to start. You could put, I mean, God bless YouTube. <laughs> like, uh, I'm I dead know. serious. I know <laughs> people bag on YouTube. I think YouTube's the best channel on TV. Um, <laughs> I, look, it's not my just, fault. People, just, just don't take it too seriously. Like, well, the, well it, it, don't watch the recommended video. Like, well, that's, like, that's a really good point. Yeah. Don't like, don't watch the recommended video. Yeah. Turn that off. Yeah. Um, and learn how to search appropriately. Right. But, uh, but he's like, I went on YouTube, I, I watched, you know, Frisbee mm-hmm. golf mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. He's like, I ordered Frisbee golf desk for yeah. my roommates and my girlfriend. Yeah. So, I, so here's, let's, let's already, let's, let's do a quick check play with. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's sought outside expertise. Mm-hmm. He didn't assume he was an, a genius. Right. He created a social community around the thing. Yep. So like there's social accountability, right? We're social animals. You generally like doing things with other people. Yep. So, so I was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So he's like, and then I made a goal of playing um, 18 holes at least twice a week. So he's, he's now committed. He, so he's now got he's, a measurable goal. He's got measurable goals. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, but I asked you what you, something you wanted to improve. He goes, ah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He starts laughing, pulls up his phone. He has some weird, I don't, I don't do Frisbee golf anymore, mm-hmm. but he pulls up a Frisbee golf app and he show, and it's like tracking his handicap. <laughs> and that, and, and the chart is down into the right. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he's laughing. And, and there's, there's actually a, a part in it where it blipped up like for yeah. like a week or what two. What happened there? I was like, what happened there? It's like, well, you know, like I was experimenting with some stuff and like, you know, it's just, you're not always going to have like great rounds. No. And, and so that was, so this is the fourth thing that a lot of people miss. Mm-hmm. You can do everything right. Mm-hmm. But unless like, but you also have to understand that the process It's about probably like we talked about probabilities before mm-hmm. the process increases probability. It doesn't guarantee success. Right. Right. And he mm-hmm. understood that. Yeah. So like, let's say you have a rep that, or let's take it, make it a product thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you, you go through your product process mm-hmm. and it's, and like, you're not super dogmatic or religious about it. You're, you know, you think deeply, you, you agonize over it and, and you ship something and it doesn't quite work the way you want, you thought it would, mm-hmm. even though in spite of all the work you did mm-hmm. that like, you can't, like that can't define you. No, that can't force you to think about your process. No, that can't force you or to abandon it altogether, which is worse. You just, yeah, it's just like it's it's not a meaningless result, but it's impossible to put meaning on it without a larger context, right? Because the randomized like life, there's random things that happen, right? And right? maybe you you just made huge progress, 
Exactly. You might be 95% of the way there. Right. And so, and so that is the other, like when, especially when people that, you know, are setting up small sales teams, or they're moving mm -hmm. from founder led sales to mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. a sales org. Mm -hmm. That is a really big one. Cause you want people that'll go and like sit down and mm -hmm. be like, not happy with the status quo, mm -hmm. but know how to get themselves out of it. And I, and I gin like, look, I don't understand what it would be like to not be a curious person. I think that'd be like kind of a terrible existence. Yeah. I, I myself, the, the, the most angry I get with myself mm -hmm. is when I can't really hold my, like I can't really fix my own problem mm -hmm. or like be a, like hold myself self, like do this self accountability thing. Mm -hmm. But, but I get, I more often than not, I can. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, I, I just feel bad. Like the people that give me bad answers to that question, maybe they were nervous, but like, I like legitimately feel bad for a lot of them. And I think a lot of people don't have much of a sense of, um, that level of, of self-awareness or metacognition. They don't necessarily. I think, right. I think the metacognition part's hard. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't think a whole lot about, um, why am I getting the results that I'm getting? And that isn't bad necessarily. I mean, I, I feel like Intelligence is super overrated. Uh, oh yeah, and that it's uh, it can also be a, a prescription for being unhappy. Um, and and you know it honestly they, it tends to make you more biased because you're better at justifying your bias. It totally makes you more biased. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So I, I mentioned um, Mary Frances. She wrote a blog for me about the tyranny of genius, and it's a, the problem of people looking for a genius that everybody gets to follow and they make, they make the decisions and they're in command. And she says, it's counter to the way we actually think. Thinking is a group process. Thinking is something, so no one has a purely original thought. No one has ever done anything that no one, that has never been thought of or considered previously. So the, the, you know, the breakthrough, the innovation comes in the interaction of all of the people involved. Now, there's there is a decider. There is someone who says, "This is the what benevolent we're going dictator." To. You know, I don't, I don't think necessarily. Okay. You know, it's um, but it's that somebody is responsible for everybody being in the same, making the same product, being well, in the same business. Well, that that person is that person is responsible, in my view, mm -hmm. of letting, of making it a group process. Yes. Because like the tendency is not to. Yeah, the tendency is you, you've got 13 people, 13 egos fighting for credit and, yeah. and avoiding blame. So, so I think about this a lot. Like, mm -hmm. I, I, I've talked about this with some friends and, and things. And, like, it, I, I think you can see it play out in other parts of life. And so, mm -hmm. the example is, and it's been years since this happened, like back in the, like the 90s, I want to say, or early mm -hmm. aughts, mm -hmm. when hip hop music was a thing, mm -hmm. a lot of people crit or becoming more of a thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a thing long before. Um, but when it was becoming a thing, it was like, well, one of the arguments against it was, like, well, they're just like sampling and like uh, doing interpolation. And like, it's not, it's not real. It's not like a real creative endeavor. Yeah, it's, it's a which is like, which is like thinly veiled racism, but that's yeah, yeah. another story. But like mm -hmm. it, and it's like, okay, well, like, then, then this classical, this Beethoven piece that you love, right, right, just uses minor scales. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
course. And, it and actually, every and, and by mm-hmm. oh, oh by the way, mm-hmm. everyone mm-hmm. used this, you know, yeah. minor like this mm-hmm. whatever, this progression. Right, this, right. Like E minor progression. Mm-hmm. So like that chord existed. Right, right. Does that mean it's not creative? Like I yeah, so I'm I I so you, you but you like my point is you see this resistance to it. Yeah. Like just just out in the world. Oh, mm-hmm. that's not that's not an original thing. I mean, I like mm-hmm. I do it. Like I'll read mm-hmm. something and be like, why why is everyone like so crazy about this guy? Like right. like industrial organizational like psychology has been saying this shit for twenty five years. Yeah. I, this that's one reason why I like reading old dead writers is <laughs> so much of the stuff that they talk about, we still talk about. Yeah. And we we just you know, I was um reading about uh, animal consciousness uh from my favorite writer from the sixteenth century, um, Montaigne. And he has a brilliant take on animal rights, animal consciousness, yeah. the equivalence of like animals not being humans yeah. and animals being equal. And this is what, five, close to 500 years ago. Um, and it's like, yeah, it's the same stuff dressed up in a different way. And he has a fantastic line. He says, truth is no more, belongs no more to the person who first says it than to anybody who says it afterwards. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It's just like, it's truth. It belongs to all of us. And so that's but, really cool. Yeah. And so he constantly quotes other writers, but he says he does it in order to better express himself. Um, Which mm-hmm. God bless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like th- there, there's a beauty to saying I can do it better. Right. He's I like, couldn't have said it better. Right. So I'm just, I'm, this guy's is saying what I wanted to say. So I'm just going to put it in there and give him credit. Yeah. I, you know, it's, I, I was reading a critique of the, um, what is it? The chat. I'll get the. I'll get the letters wrong. But the chat GBT. Mm-hmm. The you heard about this chat? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the the super bot that gets A's at Amherst. <laughs> well, let's be honest. Not that hard. <laughs> uh, my grand I, my grandfather went there. I can make the joke, right? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but mm. but the you know this the critique was like, look, there's going to be people mm-hmm. who. And they're speaking specifically about teachers. Mm-hmm. There's going to be teachers who are like up in arms about this because mm-hmm. some kid is going to have to, you know, they're going to say like write a song. I, I had to write my, I, I, I tested out and had to write Amy a sonnet, my wife a sonnet. That's sweet. Like I didn't give it to her because she was like, "What is this? Is this? <laughs> this is not you." <laughs> so did someone kill you and take it's over right, your identity? Right. Yeah, but mm-hmm. but you know, it it wrote me a sonnet, mm-hmm. and like I remember having to write a sonnet in high school. I mean, like this is not easy. No, this poetry stuff, not easy. It's not easy. And anyway, the, the, the this person was arguing that the weak people mm-hmm. will argue against this technology in education. Mm-hmm the people that that want to actually push the humanity forward mm-hmm. will teach its use. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, like that's, that's true. Like, and so tonight Amy's, my wife is mm-hmm. going to an event and I was actually going to crack it open. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I, it's really fun to play with if you haven't. I haven't tried it yet. Um, it's probably right. My intro for this, for this mm-hmm. podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I want to sit down with it and I'm going to ask my daughters mm-hmm. what kind of story they want to hear and in what style and see what it comes up with and see what it comes up with and read it to them and see, mm-hmm. and just see how they respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is it less authentic because some like, uh, I wrote, wrote it. it. Mm-hmm. I, what is authentic anyway? 
Oh, jeez. We're getting, we're, this is not helpful to me. <laughs> uh, That's right. You said you wanted this to be practical. Yeah, I want to be practical. But uh, yeah, but you can, I mean, like I know, like I know who I'm with. Mm-hmm. I know, I know, mm-hmm. I know where this conversation's going. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I've spent enough time with you. <laughs> um, I go. You know what I'll do? I'll go back and listen to the John Farkas one, and I'll take lots of like good marketing stuff out. I'm like, okay, John did good. John did good. Yeah, yeah. He, he, no. he, a lot of good chat tactics. And John's yeah. a smart dude. Um, but yeah, so going back to like the things that people come like, should you got your own only if people come to you? Mm-hmm. Um. How do you hire salespeople? Curiosity, yeah. self accountability, and a question I stole from my friend John. Mm-hmm. Not John Farkas, different John. Yeah, it is. Um, how do you know you work hard? Oh, how do you know you work hard? That's interesting. I totally stole it from him. Yeah. Um, here's what you're looking for. There, this is a really good one. Yeah, you will be shocked mm-hmm. in an interview how many people say they grew up on a farm when you ask them that question. Really? Oh, I I didn't know like. 75% of the U.S. population apparently grew, grew up, on, up a on a farm. I grew up on a farm. Mm-hmm. Went to my grandfather's farm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, that's, that's right. cool. I, you know? Right, right. Um, so that's obviously not a great answer. Mm-hmm. What I look for there is a, um, actually another shout out uh, to a guy I interviewed um, who is in town, Aaron, who's at Ambition mm-hmm. um, now. But Aaron, I asked him that question. And he, he pretty nailed, he pretty much nailed it. So the, the people that really work hard, mm-hmm. one, they tend to be outcome motivated and they mm-hmm. make, they somehow make that clear in their answer. So it's, it's about like the production of a thing that matters, but they typically do it in a couple of different ways. They always do it in more than one. Mm-hmm. So it's social. So like, am I competing with my peer group? Like, where am I in terms of my peers? Right. Um, feeling. Mm-hmm. So like you and I are old enough now to understand that you can feel like you're working really hard, but like not getting far relative to your peers. Sure. So like, so like, you can be like, oh, I feel like I work really hard, right? Like mm-hmm. I feel like I'm working really hard. So feeling I think is important because you want people to be able to calibrate it because the, the last one is like personally. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's like, you know, the, the colloquial cultural way of looking at that is, like Kobe Bryant, like the mama mentality. Like Kobe Bryant said many, many times he wasn't competing with other basketball players. He's competing with himself. He's competing with himself. Mm-hmm. And so, so let's like, let's just break that down. So mm-hmm. you can, let's say, let's say that you're in your career and you're doing whatever it is that mm-hmm. you do for mm-hmm. work. And you can be relative to your peers, a very high performer. You can be mm-hmm. the best performer. Mm-hmm. You can feel like it's too easy. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. In which case you now need to like shift to competing with yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to like t- make that turn mm-hmm. and like totally disregard what rest, everyone else the rest is of the doing. Field. That's like Tiger Woods competed against history. Yeah. It's, I mean, that you know didn't factor in. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. interviewing that good of sales or product people. <laughs> but, uh, so it's, I, I, I have, uh, personally, kind of a mixed relationship with the idea of hard. I think some of that's because I'm I'm naturally a lazy person. Um, so <laughs> congratulations. That's right. Obviously, there's some there's some issue there. Um, it's like, do you work the right amount? How do you know you're satisfied? How do you feel satisfied in your work? I I have a very um. Was that rhetorical? Sorry. No, go ahead. 
Um, man, I, I think of it this way and a lot of people may have issues with it. Mm-hmm. Like there are times where I crave working hard. Sure. And it's like I working like, out. Yeah. And it's like, I can do it, you know, I mean, I don't have those, like, I'm not infinite. Mm-hmm. I, I think people have like an infinite capacity for, not infinite, but like relatively infinite capacity for work. Mm-hmm. There's usually something else going on. Sure. Absolutely. But, like they're not a healthy person. No. Um, but I will go through periods where like, especially if it's creative, mm-hmm. where I just like, you got to ride the wave. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you don't, you only get so many ra- waves. They're relatively random. I can kind of influence them by like mm-hmm. my diet or how well I slept or, you know. Yeah, but not a whole lot. Not a, yeah. And sometimes you have the wave. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is personally, um, I'll try to make this practical for people. I think this is personally the hardest thing for me about having kids. They get in the way? They get in the way. Because I'll be on the wave, but Daphne's got a soccer game. Yeah. You know, and it's like... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, uh, and, and like, I want to be very, that's a whole other podcast. I want, I want to be very, very clear. Like, yeah, like, I'm a grumpy person for 15 minutes. And then you love her. And then I'm like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. But man, like, break, like having that break, sure, sucks. Yeah. So I, 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 the other thing is, and you said working out mm-hmm. is like, one way to kind of kickstart the wave is the same way with working out. Like, you know, those times you don't want to work out, but you start and then like five minutes in, you're like, why didn't I want to work out? Like, yes. I feel, this feels amazing. Like, I, my, I needed this. Yeah, yeah. I think work can be like that too. Totally. No, I mean, it's just like um, fear of writing. You know, I have, to, I have to write badly before I can write well. And I have to accept the fact that it's going to be bad. You know, and that, and there'll be periods of time when, when I'll, I'll read it first and I'll go, man, this is fantastic. And I'll come back to him later. And it's like, actually, this isn't working. That's the worst. It is. But I mean, that's just, that's just life. I mean, that's, that's like the, the, you were talking about the messy middle earlier. Um, I'll recommend the book, uh, Stephen Pressman's do the work. Um, but not the war of art. Uh, well, war, it's the second book. It's not war of art. Yeah. It's another, yeah. another war book of art. It's like, there is no way you had a healthy marriage. <laughs> No, I think I think the guy's got some other things going on, probably. But anyway, he says he basically he just it's a stupid book, really. But he he makes one very good point, which is that <laughs> he's very good at that. Yeah, his his good point is that the middle is going to suck, and you're going to reach a point where you're you are going to get feel that there's no way you'll ever get this done, and that it'll never be successful, and and et cetera, et cetera. There's going to be lots of reasons why you feel like you. This is not going to happen. He talks about resistance. He says yeah, the yeah. resistance. That, to, he, it's to, capital R. Exactly. Yeah. Resistance to the work. And the only way to overcome that resistance is through it. Um, and just so do the work. And, you know, you'll, it was interesting about you were sort of bringing something new into the world. Um, anyth- whether it's software that I'm releasing, whether it's a book that I'm writing, I don't own it. Once it's gone, I mean, I want to get the money for it. But once it's gone, <laughs> say don't give up your IP rights. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. right. But once it's released, it's now public property, and I have to. I'm, you know, I, I want to watch how others react, it, and but their reaction to it has nothing to do with my relationship with that piece of work. I I think that's a really important. So I write, as mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not what not that great, but I'm mm-hmm. working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I, th- I think the thing that finally got me started uh, with my newsletter was that I just decided that it wasn't for anyone else. Yeah. I, I, I decided that, that it was just like, it sounds really arrogant, but mm-hmm. that was the, that was the resistance. It was like, what mm-hmm. are people like, does the world need another middle-aged cis heterosexual white guy <laughs> talk, no. talking about culture? Uh, well, it's more irrelevant question. Well, it, 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 mm-hmm. I, I made mm-hmm. it irrelevant. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I don't care. Right. Because if, because if I don't do this, mm-hmm. then I'm not going to challenge myself in the way mm-hmm. that, that I really want to be. I, I, I don't, I don't like you and I are a little different in that mm-hmm. I have, z- and I've told you this, I have mm-hmm. zero desire to be a professional writer. Mm-hmm. Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, but my, des- I, I want to be someone who thinks very clearly and very deeply mm-hmm. about one thing. And for me, that, that one thing that I happen to love thinking about is how we evaluate talent. And like how our biases get in the way of that. And I was like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. And other people can understand that about me mm-hmm. and they can respect that about me. Mm-hmm. They can think I'm full of it. Doesn't matter. Like I am going to do the work and like I, I'm going to compete with myself on this. Mm-hmm. Am I getting better? Actually, one of the things I'm, I'm doing, and I don't know when this will come out, but like for the newsletter is I've decided in December, I'm going to go back and revisit some of the things I've written kind of you're talking about like yeah, yeah. reread them mm-hmm. and be like, where was I wrong or where was I right? Or what That's I great. Missed. That's great. And like, but like, I want to come face to face with that. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is trash or like not trash, but like, yeah, I, I feel just better about what I put out. Yeah. Right. Like, I want to come face to face with like whatever mm-hmm. that like hard thing is mm-hmm. that makes it hard to like the, the resistance. I want to go through yeah. the resistance again yeah. on the same topic. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to have you back. This is, we'll do it in person. It's a lot of fun. This was fun. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I'll have you back and we'll talk about uh, mistakes people make in assessing talent. That's a whole podcast in itself. It is. And then you can tell me what you found out when you did an assessment of your writing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. And hopefully the answer is and I shut it down. <laughs> it won't be. Um, yeah thanks tom this has been fun yeah no i appreciate you coming it's been a lot of, I, I love it um all right are we we're way over aren't we fortune's path podcast is a production of fortune's path we work with technology companies to build healthy product cultures that power monopoly profits You can catch old episodes of the Fortune's Path podcast and learn more about us at fortunespath.com. Special thanks to Ben Kettle for being our guest. Music and editing of the Fortune's Path podcast are by my son, Ted Noser. I'm Tom Noser. Thanks for listening, and I hope we meet along Fortune's Path.